or if you haven't picked up your electronic device since last week, it's the last thing you were looking at when you were here. <clears throat> and this is just an important passage. We have taken some time this summer. This is the last of a little series of messages on hot topics. And they are hot topics for a number of reasons. They are hot topics because they are from the environment that you and I are living our lives in. They are from the, the land of promise. God goes in, remember, he goes into the land of promise and he forms his people. I'm bringing you into this land, but this is what's going on in this land. This is the conditions that are here. This is the kind of people that you're going to find when you're here. This is the kind of temptations you're going to experience when you're here. These are the kind of things I want you to be wise about when you go into this land. Well, you and I live in an incredible land of opportunity. We'll see it today. It's, it's a unique place to live on all of planet Earth. But God wants us to be wise about where we live. I want to say this as I get ready to read this passage because, you know, your temperament is going to play into whether you are sick of me reading this passage or not. Because, you know, your temperament might be one of those people that says, hey, dude, can you tell us the glass is, is half full? Can you, can you go there, really? Um, because this verse kind of doesn't go there real well. Uh, well. But this verse is in the Bible, and this is where we're hanging out for a little bit. So if you're a half full kind of person, uh, the glass is also half empty. Right? Nobody ever wants to highlight that, right? <laughs> like, why don't you say the glass is half full? Okay, well, this verse is about how empty the glass is. And you just need to appreciate that and have value for it. And everybody in the room needs to see this is a New Testament passage written to the life of Christians who are living in a land that's got certain characteristics to it, right? So by the time we're, we're going we're gonna to flash through this verse quickly, but I, I put one, two, three, four, five little vocabulary words I'm going to extract from this passage. I want to make sure that we see them clearly, right? We're going to look at darkened, alienated, hardened, given up, and greedy, And we're going to live in the greedy word today. So let's read together. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, which he just described, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Lord, this, this is good news, but it's real news too. Because Lord, as much as we are eager and if we have been purchased by your blood, we have been awakened in our souls to you. We have come to life in the living God. Then these verses, they matter to us, Lord, because we want to live in the putting off of the old 
and the putting on of the new. Lord, we want to live in that. But Lord, we're honest people. Lord, we know that we live in a world that has a gravitational pull to it. We live in a world where we breathe the air that's polluted. And Lord, there's parts of us that, that is drawn to that pollution. Lord, there's parts in us that we would be wise to know, study ourselves sufficiently, to know there's some things out there that we want to make room for. And Lord, give us insights into our own souls today that we might all the more taste and see your goodness and enjoy the freedom for which you have purchased us. So God, be in our midst, opening our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's catch this description. This is the characteristics of the human condition all around us. Uh, the human condition around us looks pretty glitzy. It, it's packaged well. It's, it's driving sports cars. It's got the latest music. It's got a good beat to it. It feels like something that everybody ought to be good at, to participate in. But, but then you just peel back the thin layer of latex paint over it, and this is what it's made of. It, it is darkened in its understanding. In its ability to understand the soul, there's a darkness in humanity. In its ability to understand what's valuable, what comes first, what's worth just ignoring, what is worth dying for, what's worth sacrificing your time and your effort and your energy to make sure that you have it. It is darkened in its understanding of eternity. It doesn't gaze off into that which lasts forever. It is very much about today. What's in this moment? What can I have right now? It doesn't even think well 10 or 20 years from now, much less to think about an eternal perspective because there is a darkness in the understanding of man. It is alienated from God, alienated from God and his life. It is, it is disconnected. It is floating. It is unsustained. It, it, is, it is homeless. Right? This, is, this is a condition of the soul that is cut off from what the soul longs to breathe, the breath of God. Right? Man becomes a living soul. God breathes in him his very life. And yet the person alienated from life is, is cut off from life. So you, know, you and I don't look at people this way. We look at people, they they learn to strut, they learn to look self-confident, they learn to dress the part, they learn to speak well, be impressive. So we look at them, if we're deceived, we don't see the condition of soul that exists in the person that looks sharp as a tack. But on the inside, that person is gasping for air. Get a better view of that person. Being held underwater. Panicking to get to the surface in life, panicking to find something that can be breathable in their soul rather than just living for something that is suffocating them on the inside. You're alienated from the life of God. You, you, you may have a form of life, but you are missing life itself. And so there is a, a sense of panic in people's lives. No matter how cool they look on the outside, on the inside, God says they're alienated. There's a hardness of heart and a callousness that is in the human condition, right? That, that word in the Greek is a colorful word. It means to grow or become insensible, void of or past feeling. Just, you just stop feeling. 
It's used metaphorically, meaning to be insensible to honor or shame. To be insensible to honor or shame. It's the, the word from which we get analgesic. Right? That stuff that they put on you before they give you a shot. or right? You're grateful for that Novocaine stuff that they analgesic. They put on your gums before the dentist pulls out that needle. And it, what, what is it doing to you? It is making you insensitive. Right? There, there can be a painful, or in this case, there can be a God-ordained conviction that is piercing, right? The word of God is, is a piercing word. It cuts into the soul. It divides the soul and the spirit. It judges the thoughts and the intentions of man. So sometimes you and I hear something from God that pierces us, and it's got a little pain attached to it. But this is a world that is hardened and callous. So that this world doesn't sense that piercing any longer. And when you, when you look at the stuff going on in our culture, you look at the stuff in the news, there is an insensitivity in this world to God and his righteousness and his ways. People have stopped feeling a sense of conviction. The Bible describes the condition in this world as given up to sensuality. Just given over to it. You, you, here, here you want that? This is what you want at all costs. This is how you want to live. This is the value that you have. And you get given over to it to where there's a form of surrender here. There's a form of you losing control. And this is a very sobering thing, right? This is sobering no matter where you are spiritually. If you're an unbeliever, I'm going to read another passage here in a second where the Bible comments on the condition of our being given over to sin and its rule. But if you're a believer, you you are ill-informed if you think you are out of the sense of reach of sin to begin to be something you are given over to. Now, I know there's a lot of great passages, and we've got to do something with them. There's a lot of great passages about the power of the Holy Spirit that's in a believer's life. There's there's a lot of great passages about a new identity formed in us when we become new creations in Christ. But there is a presentation in Scripture that sin is still operating in our members. And we are still housed in a fallen body. And we still live in a fallen world. And that is still at work in us. And so to, to think that well, when I became a Christian, that all of that went away. Well, it didn't go away. It lost authority over you, but, but deception doesn't care about authority. Right? When somebody comes to deceive you, they're, they're not looking to have the right to do something in your life. They're just looking to deceive you. They're looking to trick you. So there is a, a, an incredible thing that's happened in a believer's life but you, you are not in heaven yet. Some people, this is sort of the, the, you know, the hyper belief system that's around us, and it's hyper faith, it's hyper in a bunch of categories, hyper grace. Hyperism ignores current conditions, and it, it sort of imports heaven in a way that's not biblical. Heaven, does everybody get this, that there's, there's going to be a change between your existence here when you get to heaven? And sometimes, well, if you just believe and there's no, you just believe, right, there's no sickness. Well, you know, I haven't met anybody yet who's not on their way to dying. You're going to die. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fact, right? But in heaven, will you die? No. 
Yeah, there's healing here upon the earth. Well, you know why there's healing? Because stuff is broken. Do you understand there won't be any healing in heaven? Right? You, you, you're housed in this body, but do you understand one day you get a glorified body? You get a different body in heaven. So th- there's so much that's about us now that won't be about us then because there's going to be something different there. But while I'm here, there's stuff at play here that I need to be wise and sobered about. And this is a sobering concept for me because I recognize that there is flammable stuff in me, in my flesh. It dwells in the members. And even though I am a new creation and dwell by the Holy Spirit and empowered by God, there's flammable stuff in me. So if I present myself to sin, sin wants to ignite that in me. And I recognize that I, I could go up in flames. And I'm not violating anything else the Bible says about me. I'm just recognizing that in this fallen world, with this fallen body, and sin is still a player, I'm flammable. And so I get very concerned, and I guess, you know, pastoral perspective affords me uh, a view of the landscape that's maybe not always fun to look at. But this is a room full of people that many have got addictive patterns in their life that they can tell a story about. You know, what, what, what is addiction? It's somebody who went up in flames. Right? They can't seem to put the fire out. They got around something that they thought they could get around, not understanding the sin that dwells in their members, not understanding, listen to me carefully, not just that sin dwells in the members of people, but not understanding the sin that dwells in their members. And you might want to recognize, you'll get set on fire by things that won't set me on fire. And I'll get set on fire by things that won't set you on fire because we're just different. But you're flammable. And anything that has an addictive element to it, you, you might do very well to pay attention. It has that quality for a reason. Sets people on fire for a reason. It appeals to people in a way that they can't get it off of them. They're on fire and they wish they weren't, but it ain't going out anytime soon. That sobers me. And I'm grateful that it does. Because it, it makes me keep a distance from those things. It makes me just choose wisdom, knowing what I'm made of. Right? This concept here in this passage is what is interestingly commented on in Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul again says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. All right, this sounds familiar, right? This sounds like that Ephesians passage. Futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, here we go again. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up. Same word. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because, here's why. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. All right, that, that's a social commentary statement right there. If you want to lift your eyes, check out social media, look at the world of advertising, see the statements that are being made in our culture on a daily basis, this is where they originate, in a culture that exchanged the truth 
about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, the created order, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so when you and I look at the world, this is the commentary that informs us what educated the world to be what it is. Why does the world behave the way it does? Listen, it can look sharp, it can look polished, it can even look morally decent. But this is the birth center for the culture in which we live. Exchanging the centrality for our existence being to worship and know the living God for something else that we want to know and we want to live near and we want to receive the benefit from. That's the exchange, right? This is that sense of alienated from God. This is what it means to be alienated from God. When God is lost as the central piece of who we are, then something else will come in and we will worship and serve it. Remember, that's God's offense with his people. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living water, and they have hewn out cisterns for themselves. They forsook me and they, they created substitutes. They departed from me and they went after something else. I mean, this, this is the basic fallenness of man's condition. And so, you know, when you and I look at the world, there's so much energy being given out there. There's so much you need to. You gotta be educated. You gotta be smart. You gotta work hard. You gotta try. You gotta go after. Go after what? What are you being told to sacrifice everything about yourself to have. Well, usually it's, it's a, a value system that gets created by people who are alienated from God. This is what they should say. They should present their facts and their ideas and their pursuits to you and say, okay, if you're going to abandon God, these would be good things to go after. How many of you do, would, would just stand in line at that moment? You know, if you're a Christian, the first thing in your mind would say, well, I, I don't have any intention of doing that. I, I don't have any intention of abandoning God to go after these things. But yet they don't present it that way. They just say, here's life. Boom, 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 boom. No, no, here is life defined by those who have been alienated from God. Here is life being told to us by people who don't have God as a central feature of their existence. Here is life by people who are being held underwater, gasping for air. And you and I have the opportunity to sign on and be a part as well. This last word is where I want to land today. Greedy to embrace or practice impurity. Greedy. That word greedy means lasciviousness, license, debauchery, sexual excess. And I know I talked on this last week and go back and get the, the tape if you didn't get it. But just gender and sexuality issues today. Sexuality was a huge issue in the New Testament. If you've not noticed it, it's because you're reading too fast. It was a huge issue. This culture was horrible. I mean, the Roman Greek world was horrible about sexual abuse. It was everywhere in the culture. It didn't look exactly like ours, but it, it looked a lot like ours. And worse in some ways. So this word greedy has vol- it involves sexual excess. Absence of restraint, insatiable desire for pleasure, a strong desire to acquire more and more material possessions or to possess more things than other people have, all irrespective of need. It doesn't matter whether you need it or not. It doesn't matter whether you need a new cell phone. It just doesn't matter, does it? You can have a new one. That's what matters. Your old one works fine doesn't it? But there's a new one out 
Oh. <laughs> You've seen what the new one does. It's shaped different, for goodness sake. Right? And there's something in us that goes, I, I, I have to have that. I've got to have that. All of a sudden, your thing that's been working fine, it's not quite as fine. You know? Now you've got some fault with it. Now you're criticizing it. Because right? I've got to move on to the next thing. All right, well, welcome to greed. Welcome to what I'm going to call today consumerism. And, and our culture is steeped in consumerism. You and I have grown up in the land of consumerism. If there ever was a healthy place to discover consumerism, you and I are living in the lab experiment called America. We are consumers. If we are anything, we are consumers. And, you know, uh, not all ideas about consuming are bad, by the way, but, but some of what we're going to talk about today doesn't put it in the greatest of light. But, you know, our country got started with some ideas. You know, we, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All right? It's not a bad document. All men are created equal. Gotcha. They're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Cool. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay. You might want to define some of those words. Right? Life? Well, how are we defining life? Because God says that you are alienated from the life of God. So what kind of life do you want to pursue here? Right? You've got to fill in the blanks in this. Liberty? All right, what kind of freedom are we talking about here? Are we talking about spiritual liberty? Are we talking about freedom from ourselves? Or just the tyranny of King George and people like him? You know, quite honestly, I'd much rather be free from me than from anything else in the universe. Thank you very much. And that's the kind of liberty that God had in mind. Okay, well, okay we're aiming at some things, not using the words real well. The pursuit of happiness. We live in a country that's founded upon giving everybody the opportunity to self-define pleasure and then give them the right to go after it and for people to stay out of their way. And we've created laws to try and do that. And that's not a bad thing. Okay, hey, I'm going to critique America here, but I would rather live here than anywhere else on the planet. Okay? So it's not like I hate being an American. But there are underlying values and issues that are part of our culture that you know, I need to be very careful. We, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, right? I mean, you probably pulled for the U.S. soccer team in World Cup. That's cool. No problem. I'm going to resist commenting on the World Cup um, since Jason's not in here anyway. I just love to rag. I just love, the, I have to. I, have, I love to rag the concept. <laughs> I'm sorry that, you know, I grew up playing sports, all kinds of sports, and never, never, never in the history of playing sports, did I ever get to advance to the next round by losing? All right, just... <laughs> and you, you with me? And this is why soccer is not understood well in America. I'm sorry. It, they seem to get it everywhere else in the world, but you don't get to go on to the next round when you lose. I mean, we, we went home, you know. Isn't there a saying like that today in sports? Win or go home? Not in soccer. <laughs> Anyway, uh, all right, well, you and I, here's, here's, what, here's what you and I have learned to breathe the air of, right? We grew up in the era of blue jeans, pop music, transportation by automobile, communication by cell phone, home ownership, family vacations, eating out, shopping at malls, speaking English, and consuming. Lots and lots of consuming. It's just what we do. It's our pastime. It's an interesting quote here. I think I just put some 
up here on the screen for you. Eating the world. Hyperconsumerism by the numbers. Interesting insight. Note, while many of the below statistics relate to hyperconsumerism in the United States, overconsumption can be found to varying degrees across the developed world. This is going global now in amazing ways. And now is making incursions into emerging markets as well, thanks to burgeoning middle classes and the shift to consumerist societies. Of the 10 largest shopping malls in the world, nine are currently located in Asia and the Middle East. Would you have ever thought that? Now, one, you may not be realizing this, but the reason why, if you're trying to build something, your construction cost is so high, and the reason why it costs you so much to go to the gas pump these days has got nothing to do with America. It's got everything to do with China and India. Now, you may not realize that, but we've gone global in a bunch of ways, and so all of a sudden, there is this new consumption, and consumption is an economic thing. If you want your economy to thrive, you have to get people to consume, and so countries have recognized that. So there's consumption increasing in these other parts of the world. So all of a sudden, there's a lack of energy because Asia is learning how to consume energy. They're driving more cars than ever. And that's only going to get more and more and more busy through the years. So consumption is everywhere. Mahatma Gandhi warned of the threat of hyperconsumerism moving east decades ago saying, God forbid that India should ever take the industrialism after the manner of the West. If our nation took to similar economic exploitation, it would strip the world bare like locusts. Right? And that's happening. Here's an interesting quote from a, a Puritan writer. Well, actually, wasn't a Puritan writer, but he was influenced by the Puritans and was a pastor in England. He said, the good life has become inseparable from the maximum possible consumption of things. The dogma of the new religion is the dogma of increasing wants. Now listen to some of these stats. 500,000 different consumer goods for sale in the U.S. in 1950 versus 24 million different consumer goods currently available on Amazon.com. 1,500 different drawer pulls sold at the great indoors. God knows we need that many to choose from. 300 produce varieties at Ralph's Supermarket in California. The average American consumes 53 times more goods and services versus a person in China. 2.2 billion, this is an interesting stat, and you guys will notice this driving around the city. And this has always got my curiosity. 2.2 billion square feet of self-storage space available in the United States. That's 79% of all self-storage facilities in the world. Do you guys remember when there was a day when there was no such thing as self-storage? Do y'all remember that? And all of a sudden, empty building after empty building was being converted to self-storage. I mean, it became obvious we don't have room for our stuff at home anymore. What's really interesting, I don't, know if you, I don't have this stat up there yet, but here's the interesting stat that's coming to you in a second. New houses in the U.S. were 38% bigger in 2002 than in 1975, despite having fewer people per household on average. So our, our houses are bigger than ever, but we still need off-site storage. <laughs> right? We just, you know, I think the rest of the world could do a documentary called, you know, Continental Hoarding or something about us. <laughs> I mean, you see those shows about hoarders? Well, you know, when we consume 53 times more goods, I think we might qualify as hoarders. This isn't the land of the free, the home, and the brave. It's the land of the hoarders. We've got to build stuff to store things. 
Average U.S. household debt is over $117,000. The 12% of the world's population that lives in North America and Western Europe accounts for 60% of private consumption spending. While the one-third living in South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa accounts for only 3.2%. Well, apparently there's some people on the planet living very different than us. They are alive. They're they're living life, but they do it quite different. As many as 2.8 billion people on the planet struggle to survive on less than $2 a day. Can anybody relate? No. United States, with less than 5% of the global population, uses more than a quarter of the world's fossil fuel resources. An estimated 65% of U.S. adults are overweight or obese, right? We consume all over the place here, right? One American's consumption of resources is equivalent to that of 35 Indians. It's 35 of them to consume what one of us is consuming. This is my favorite quote, Mad Magazine. The only reason a great many American families don't own an elephant is that they have never been offered an elephant for a dollar down and easily weekly payments. (laughs) Uh. All right, let me be careful here. This is not a message against wealth. This is not a message that says the Bible's against wealth. It's some wealthy individuals in Scripture, and the Bible doesn't apologize for them. Abraham was a wealthy man. Job, Joseph, David, Solomon, Hezekiah. There's many wealthy people in Scripture with an abundance that God provided for them to have and to enjoy. Uh, So I'm I'm not trying to line us up with, let's, let's see if we can find the cheapest, most impoverished economy in the world, and let's base our lives on that. Bob's got nothing to say about that. Nothing to say about that. I'm just trying to put us in touch with something. We live in in America that loves to consume. America doesn't teach anybody to say enough. That's enough. That's good enough. That's new enough. I've had enough. No, thank you. It teaches us to want more and more and more and more and more. And so let's, let's just put us in the crosshairs of this. Um, if the average American consumes 53 times more goods than the person in China, let's suppose here you are, you are one of the most noble Americans that we could ever meet. You've got this God thing going on and spiritually you've got it together. And you are, you are better than probably everybody else in the room here but you're still not even close to the Chinese guy, right? Because you were taught to consume. And whether you realize it or not, you probably consume 15 to 20 times more than the average Chinese guy because you live in a land that taught you to consume. And so however you feel about this subject, you are a consumer. Every one of us are consumers. Here's a vocabulary word for us. Consumer, according to Webster, is one that consumes one that utilizes economic goods. So this word's used in an economic way. Or it's also an organism requiring complex organic compounds for food, which, underline this, it, can, it obtains by preying on other organisms. I want to come back to that definition in a little bit. To consume, according to Webster, means to eat or drink something. It means to use. Consuming is about using. Right? So it can be used economically, it can be used about a number of things. I like this definition here from one website. It said, what are consumption and consumerism anyway? What is the good life? 
Every day, people use a variety of goods and materials from the food we eat and the clothes we wear to things like cell phones, cars, and even toilet paper. This is consumption, right? We just use stuff, right? Not bad, good or bad, really. Consumerism, on the other hand, is the belief that personal happiness is based on the increasing consumption of products. Citizens of consumer countries are subject to advertising that promotes the buying of more and more things, making them feel inadequate unless they buy in. Right, this is, you didn't sign up for this, and it's not called a religion, but I think it should be. The religion of advertisism. I mean, advertising involves a belief system. I don't know if you've ever thought through the, the theology of advertising. It involves a belief system. I've got to get you to believe two things. I've got to get you to believe two things when I advertise to you. I've got to get you to believe that what I have to sell is going to improve your life. And then I've got to get you to believe that your life needs to be improved. Now, if you abandon either one of those things, we got no sale. Right? You're not going to part with your goods and your time and your effort. Right? So advertising is imparting a belief system. Every time you watch a commercial, there's a belief system attached to that thing. And by the way, you're watching a lot of commercials. CBS News said, we've gone from being exposed to about 500 ads a day back in the 1970s to as many as 5,000 a day today. I don't know where CBS gets that from, but that's a lot of, that's a lot of belief system coming your way. That's a lot of ideas. Remember, ideas that for the most part are being formed by a view of a people who are alienated from the life of God So I got nothing going on in here and I'm about to tell you what you need for your life. And I'm going to tell you what works for me. And I'm going to have testimonials of other people who come and stand up and say, this is what's fixed me. If you do this, it'll fix you too, right? Welcome to the world of advertisism. Consumerism looks at your existing life and declares inadequate. Then it lifts your eyes to the great potential hope that your life can be better If you can do this, have this, bring this into your life. C.S. Lewis had some real interesting thoughts in mere Christianity. He says, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely. There's some desire going on in us. Something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. Do they, right? I don't know how the Ronco products do, but you know, somebody's advertising, it's gonna, it's gonna, this is a life changer, this is a deal changer for you, but it never quite keeps its promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us, our longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. And he describes the person who's the fool, who engages this, but this is how the fool deals with it. He says, he puts the blame on the things themselves. He goes on all his life thinking that if only he had tried another woman, or went on a more expensive holiday, or whatever it is, then this time he really would catch the mysterious something we are all after. Most of the bored, 
discontented rich people in the world are of this type. They spend their whole lives trotting from woman to woman, continent to continent, hobby to hobby, always thinking that the latest is the real thing at last and always disappointed. Listen, how much of our discontent is related to our our consumer approach to life? We just believe that if we can get that thing out there in here, we're going to be good. We're going to be better. We're going to be happier. It's going to fix something about us. But that never seems to do it, and so it creates a sense of discontent. Whereas what was intended to satisfy is the gospel that overcomes our alienation from God. May it be that we're consumers because we don't consume God. He is not the object of our delight, of the answer to our souls. He, he is, we have added him not to the heart of who we are, but to the back pocket of who we are. So many of us are still busy on our way trying to fix our hearts while we've got God in our back pocket. Now, yeah, I became a Christian in 1979. I put God in my back pocket, and I'm, I'm just as panic-driven as anybody else to breathe the air. And I consume and I consume and I want and I go after. Because somewhere along the way, we've misplaced God being what we consume and the most important thing about what we consume. Now, let me just say this. And this is where I'm quite concerned for the church as an entity called by God to a purpose. In your outline there, it says consumerism is not just about material possessions. Consumerism can be the way we do relationships. The same sort of ideas in us. We consume the way Webster says we use relationships. We seek to consume something from them. From that definition for consumer, an organism requiring food from which it obtains by preying on other organisms. Preying on other people in order to get from them what my appetite craves. You become about me satisfying my own hunger. So I I shop for what does that. I relate to people based on what does that. Consumerism is addicted to dragging life across our pleasure sensors. Did I skip something? I did. We become guilty. Let me read this one first. We become guilty of being in relationships, friendships, social settings, and even churches as consumers. We are an organism that requires certain food and we obtain it by preying on other organisms. We use people. It used to be said when I was a kid, people, you know, my parents used to say, well, you know, somebody come into your life and they'd offer to do something and be a friend of yours. I mean, my parents used to warn me all the time, don't use them. Do your parents ever used to tell you guys that? Don't, no, don't use them, you know, because they, they offered some advantage. You know, they, they were the new rich family in the neighborhood. You know, they had all kinds of gadgets and toys and, you know, and then parents were wise enough to notice, you know, I don't know if you really care about that kid. I think you care about his toys. So, you know, that's going to go bad one day, right? When you're done using up that person, using up their toys and you've gotten bored with them, you're going to cast them aside. You're going to treat them poorly because it never was about you caring for them. It was about caring for something that did something for you. 
Right, so it's wise advice from my parents. It's wise advice for us because if we've been raised on consumerism, we have been taught to consume something that something else has to offer us. And you have something to offer me. And I can learn how to consume and use you to get that in my life, right? Consumerism is addicted to dragging life across our pleasure sensors. And pleasure sensors include our taste buds. That's a consuming issue for some. Physical or emotional comfort, thrill, distraction, fun, affirmation, importance, flattery. All those things can be things that I want to consume. That's a, a sense of pleasure for me, right? When you say something applauding, when you find something about me that's, that you appreciate and you let me know that, or you speak well of me to someone else, I mean, I, there's something to me that likes to consume that. I like the way that feels. That's good for me. So I like being around you. So I make time for you. I get in your life and I welcome you to get in mine. But there's a problem with consumerism in relationships. Consumerism avoids people, settings, and things that take things from us rather than providing things to us. If I'm addicted to consumerism, then I'm going to avoid things that begin to take from me because I'm a consumer. And I, I want things to provide something to me. I want them to do so. I want there to be benefit for the gadget, for the person, for the time spent, for the social setting. I want to feel like it's doing something for me. And, you know, we kind of have grown dull to hearing some things that should just, just as, as believers, should make us see that's the opposite of the kind of love that I've been raised to look at in God. You know, when the, I can't remember the name of this movie, but this guy, he's, he's like a sports agent or something, and he falls in love with this girl, and they break up, and there's this line in the movie where he looks at her and he says, you complete me. And you guys know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> um, you know, that, that sound, doesn't that just sound so, that sounds so noble. You know, it's, it's kind of like saying, you know, no, you don't understand, babe. No one else has ever made me feel the way you do. That sounds like a compliment, doesn't it? <laughs> what, what is someone saying? When they say that, when I'm with you, I feel like blah, blah, blah. I'm basically saying this is, this is, this is about what you do for me. This is about how you make me feel. We are in a great relationship and I am so after you. And I so love you because at the end of the day, you make me feel a certain way. I guess where that relationship is headed Because I I just promise you this, at some point, you're going to watch enough advertising, you're going to do enough social media to notice that there's other things that you might want that that poor sap doesn't provide for you. (laughs) And suddenly you're aware how you have fallen out of love. We just fell out of love. No, why don't you say it as ugly as it really is? I used up every last drop of life I could suck out of them. And when they stopped providing, I shoved off. Okay, that's, that's a little more accurate, quite honestly. Because the love that I stare at when I stare at God doesn't look like that. 
When was the last time you were in touch with the fact that God's not loving you because of what you're providing to him? <laughs> right? I was bankrupt. There was nothing. Stick the straw in me. There's nothing. Keith. Ah, dry. Nothing. Let me go to somebody else. There's no reason why God loves me. Not like that kind of love. God's not sitting around going, you know, I don't complete God. You know, God doesn't sit around in heaven and go, I just love the way I feel when I'm around Keith. <laughs> you know, no, no, that's not the kind of love that we're experiencing. But see, listen, this undercurrent of being a consumer, it starts to make that feel like that's the way it should feel. Right? Relationships should feel that way. You know, we're trained to be consumers. Listen, some of us are more consumers than we are Christians. So we're trained by this stuff. So as long as it's flowing this way, it's, it's, it's right in our lives. As long as relationships and events and stuff are going this way in the world, it's right for us. And then you're a Christian, so you've got to figure out what's the will of God for your life. Is this the will of God for your life to be in this relationship or in this setting or in this activity? Is this the will of God for you? How do you discern whether it's the will of God for you? Well, if you're a consumer, you've been trained to sort of have life feel this way. It's coming at you. It's providing to you. It makes you feel warm and affectioned. You are appreciated and applauded. This is a setting where there's nobody making you feel inadequate. This, this is God for me. I just know this is God for me. Really? Because if you're a Christian, you're going to translate consumerism into affirming God's will for your life. Because that's important to you. Well, how do you know that consuming is what determines whether or not it's God's will. What if God wants to stick you in a relationship that just sucks the life out of you? What if God wants to stick you in a social setting? What if God wants you to be on a job? What if God wants you to be in a church where it's all about life flowing away from you and people taking from you and taking from you and taking from you? Listen, if you signed on for children, it's, it's going to be 30 to 40 years before it starts going this way, all right? <laughs> Just, and I, you know, some of you guys have been a parent a whole lot longer than me, but I'm just talking about how long it took me to turn and give back to my parents, you know, to, to make them the object of things flowing their way instead of just taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. But how many of you guys know you haven't, you haven't, you know, these are your children. They, you know, they came from you. You have some sense of responsibility. But, you know, they're, they're the takers and you're the givers. And it's God's will that you be right there. How do you interpret whether you're supposed to be in that marriage or not? Because this is taking a whole lot more from me than it's providing to me. My spouse hasn't figured out how to speak my love language or show up and, and, and express communication to me in a way that I can actually hear it. He doesn't read anything, doesn't try to do anything toward me, right? There, there's nothing flowing this way. It just feels like it's all like this. And, and then if you're not careful, you interpret that as that, that can't be God. That can't be God. God would not want this for me. Let's, let's read a passage here and see if, if maybe this is something that God could be involved in. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Do nothing from selfishness 
or empty conceit. Right? This, this, is, this is the consumer's motive, those two words, selfishness and conceit. That's what motivates the consumer. I, I want this to come my way, benefit me, be about me, and I want it to make me feel good. Selfish conceit. I want this to pump me up. But here this passage says, do nothing from that. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or insisted upon, if you will. But he emptied himself, right? That's the opposite of consuming, isn't it? Consuming is about filling myself. Consuming is about what I can get. But he turned the pump and it went the other direction. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. This, this, is, this is just one downgrade after another. I just want to just track the the downgrade steps here, he emptied himself, right? So of the prerogative to exist and act as God, he has emptied himself. I have no idea how, how much that cost. We, we talking about what he gave up, like a million bucks? Or, or is there not a dollar amount that could ever explain what was given up in that one passage right there? The emptying of God acting as God. Are you kidding me? Then he downgrades further. He takes the form of a bondservant and is made in the likeness of men. Dude, this is, this is humiliating. This is, this is humanity taking on bug form. This is you having an affection to save all the cockroaches in your neighborhood by becoming one of them. This is lower than that. I can't even come up with a good illustration. That God put, you know, you and I think men are pretty cool. We're at the top of the food chain on planet Earth. But God exists in another realm for him to strap himself into human flesh. Are you kidding me? This is a serious downgrade. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, even falsely accused death on a cross. This, this is what non-consuming love looks like. And this is what we're invited into. Have this attitude in you, which was in Christ. Listen, consumers can't, can't do verses three and four. Consumers can't pull off doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And in humility, regarding somebody else as more important, their need as more important. Extract from me, if you, if you will, for your need is more important than mine. In, in a consumer world, that's what you know, Peter talked a little while ago just about you know, how we, the money issue, the money issue. Because um, we want to consume something. We don't, we don't wanna, we, you know, it's our resource for consuming. You know, money is our ability to consume. So if you take that away from me, I can't consume. So this is in us a whole lot more than we think it is. And this is why this is a hot topic for me. Not, not because of the material possession element so much, but because of the motivating element of how this pattern in our culture is informing the way Christians do Christianity. 
It's informing the way we relate to one another. And it doesn't feel unnatural anymore because everything in our culture is about consuming. Everything is about determining how can this work for my benefit. So the second you bump into a relationship that doesn't provide any benefit for you and may not for years, you're ready to be done with it. I don't mind running people off by saying this. Uh, You may be in this church because that's what happened in your last church. You couldn't consume what you wanted to consume. People let you down. People disappointed you. The church didn't somehow. You couldn't get from that setting what you wanted to, so you're here. Can I just tell you, there's a day coming when we'll be waving goodbye to. Because I promise you, you will not get all that you want to consume done here either. At some point, God might be calling you to give away See, if you're called to give away, you can be in a lot of environments, can't you? You can be in difficult parenting settings, a difficult marriage, a church that's got problems, because you're called to give away. You, you've got life flowing out of you. You're not a consumer, you're, you're a giver. You know, what happens, and this is happening all over our culture, what happens when the consumer culture comes to church? Well, it's looking for people like me, with interests like me, Meeting times that are convenient for me. Child care that my consuming children will like. I, I know I'm going to offend somebody in here, but if you're offended by this, you just need to be. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when I hear families that are in a church because their children like the child care. I won't even tell you what goes through my mind, but it's not anything good. <laughs> so your, your children in, enjoy the childcare setting. That, that's what's doing it for you. That's what's making the call here. Okay, listen, your, your children shouldn't be up on the list like that. And you should be discerning some things that are much, much more important than whether or not this McDonald's has a playland. They like the slide. Hey, we... We've got one of those air bounce things here that we pull out for kids sometimes. It's amazing. I hope you'll call Lakeview Christian Center your home. <laughs> we, we got a spacewalk. We're going to put that on the front of our website. We've got a spacewalk at Lakeview. But see, our kids love to consume fun. So if we can see our kids going, oh, consumption, 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 we feel like, hey, this must be God. I'm sensing God wants us here. They love consuming the stuff that's here. Uh, Listen, the greatest hour of the church is going to be when the church learns to love one another as a community when you can't consume something from one another. Because in your consumer culture, your culture will never notice you if you consume just like they do. And your relationships are based on the same stuff that their relationships are based on. And they move on just like we move on. If we just acted like Christians, we could get the attention of a lot of people. Because there's something really, really attractive about the God-like love that God has for us that sticks it out through thick and thin, that works through conflicts, that does what's not easy. You know, are you, are you in a church for the ease of relationship? Is that, that what motivates the Christian today to be in a church? Ease of relationship in the sense of, you know, I, I just like to hide in the numbers. No one's going to expect anything from me. So I'm here to get something, but I'm not really here to give something. Or ease of relationships in that I'm here as long as there's no real big conflict 
between anybody that matters in the church. Because if, if I get in a conflict with a small group leader or a pastor, then that's going to that's gonna be the end of it. I'm, I'm going to... And I don't, want to do the, I don't want to do the hard thing of actually having to come up with some substance and give into a relationship and serve somebody who doesn't feel like they like me. They're, they're at odds with me. They have bad things to say about me. They think poorly of me. They, I'm not their hero. So I, I can't get from them what I want to get. So I think I need to move on now. Do you understand how much consumption is informing the church? This is a hot topic. There's lots of churches out there growing and growing and growing for a while. And then the, the church over here will grow after everybody leaves from this one, because you stay in any place long enough and you won't be able to get from the people what you want to get. If you want to have a good marriage, a good family, a good church, uh, you've got to pay attention to the fact that consumerism is in you in an unhealthy way. And so what's, what's our solution here? This passage in Colossians chapter 2 kind of lets us in on, lets us in on, on how not to remedy this. Right? It, could be, it could be easy to remedy consumerism by trying to attack the objects that we consume, right? So uh, let's, let's attack food. Uh, let, let's attack, you know, you got too many TVs. There's too much luxury items going on. You got too many cars. Let's attack all the possessions that we have. Let, let's put a limit on some of this stuff, will we? Uh, let's, you know, if you're... Depending on how you grade, you know, you're only allowed to have one TV in your house. After that, it's just, uh, you know, obnoxiously consuming. Or maybe you'd say, hey, well, no, that's not where I draw. I draw the line at no TV. No TV. It's not necessary. You can live without a TV. Um, what kind of food do you eat? You know, just to basically just frosted flakes every day, rest of your life. That's, I mean, it's just what you need. Tony the Tiger, it's good enough for him, good enough for me. Um, you know, do you really need a district donut? I mean, really? Now, your mom will tell you that I do need that. Your mom, I send your mom to you on a regular basis saying, I, I need a district donut. Belinda, can you work on that for me? Um, but, you know, that's, that's excess. That's extra. I mean, so, so listen, this is, this is a untenable project. Don't start down this road because you've got nothing in the Bible that's going to help you get informed along the way. Right, two donuts or one? No donuts? Luxury donuts or just your basic, simple Walmart donut? You know, where do we draw the lines on this? Do you notice the Bible doesn't say anything about this stuff? Don't go down that road. It's a waste of time. And it's informed by this passage. Colossians 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Please don't think that you found some biblical remedy because you're one of those people who can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, throw every TV out on the street, and live without them. Well, congratulations. It's a proud moment for you. I'm so happy. Now, now don't write a book and tell everybody else that's what they ought to do. Because, you know, uniquely, you're weird in some other categories. And there's some indulgence issues in you that that little technique doesn't touch. And if you won't go there, you won't get humbled by the fact that you got your own set of issues. 
But if we go to the Bible, your remedy is not a remedy anyway. As a matter of fact, the Bible said, don't package this and try and sell it to others. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, chapter 2 and 3 and 4. Here's the list of what you can't handle, can't taste, can't touch. Well, how do we fix this then? Chapter 3, verse 1 in Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Right? Consumerism is about the stuff of earth. For you have died and your life is no longer alienated from God. It is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Right? That's, a, that's a consumer lineup right there. Those are consuming words. Which is idolatry. Consuming excessively is what people do when God is alienated from their hearts. That's what you do. You desperately seek to fill up what is missing. So the real problem is God himself satisfying my longings. It's not a a system of rules because, you know, by the way, you can throw out all your TVs and not draw any closer to God. You can avoid certain types of food and certainly your physical appearance will change as a result and that'll be a healthy, helpful thing. But you may not know God any more than you did before. And your passion may not be about God. As a matter of fact, your passion might be about having a fit body. That happened to anybody? And you go from, hey, I was in horrible physical shape and the next thing you know, I'm in great shape. I got a program and I'm faithfully there every, every week and I'm, I'm, I'm an evangelist for how you can lose weight too and new style of life. But, you know, at the end of the day, are you any closer to God? See, those things don't put you closer to God. They just put you face to face with earthly issues. But your life is hidden with God in Christ. That's where your life is. So turn from consuming people. Your life is not hidden in your wife. It's not hidden in your children. It's not hidden in your coworkers. It's not hidden in, in, in getting a better boss. It's, it's not hidden in the social setting. It's not hidden in your extended family who can't seem to treat you right. It's not hidden in your church. Your life is hidden in God, in the person of Jesus Christ. That's where life is. And, and if I will pursue it there, it will rescue me from consuming will make me a giver of life rather than a taker. One last thought. Eric, go ahead and come back up here. Blaise Pascal, an interesting way with thoughts and words, got saved later in life, only lived eight years as a, as a Christian back in the 1600s. He wrote, There was once in man a true happiness of which there now remained to him only the mark and empty trace which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings, seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present. But these are all inadequate 
because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object. That is to say, only by God himself. Listen to the rescue of those of us who have grown up breathing the air of consumerism is not to create rules of do not, do not, do not. It is to find our delight in the God who is our life. It is to seek life where life can be found. It is to stop desperately gasping for air. Like if I can just have the next cell phone or move to the next house or have this different job or adjust my lifestyle, then finally air is going to flow into my spiritual lungs. No, no, no. Your life is not hidden in gadgets. Your life is not hidden in a car. It's not hidden in a lifestyle. It's not hidden in people. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if you seek that life, you will find it. Remember, God says, seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Seek God. Your heart is longing to breathe the air of God himself. And we consume other things because we're gasping for air with God. This is a hot topic. Because it influences every day the way we live our lives. It influences whether we got up this morning feeling pumped about life or feeling discouraged and depressed about it. And if you're discouraged and depressed as a Christian, I guarantee you're not mobilized. Self-concerned, self-focused, consumeristic Christianity, it erodes the mission that we're on together. We're on a mission together to portray the image of the glorious God into this fallen world and to declare to them the gospel that can rescue them and return them to him so that they too might come to experience that their life is hidden in him as well. So this is an issue for the church. It paralyzes us. It steals from us. Let's stand up together. Father, we have opened your word. We have read your word. We have delighted in the insights that you have preserved for us. But Lord, any true reading of the word involves a true reading of us. Your word has read us this morning. And you speak prophetically to your people, Lord. We've been looking at that as we've studied this series. You find our lives. And you speak to us about where we are. And Lord, maybe today some of us find ourselves more deeply entrenched in consumerism than we thought we were. Lord, this word is a, is a word of freedom and liberation. Lord, it's, it, it adjusts our course, keeps us from wasting our thoughts and energies and time, rescues us from discouragement and depression. Lord, we want to appropriate this word. We just don't want to remember that. Yeah, I remember that, me- that message on consumerism. Lord, would you find this word living in us? Would you apply it into our souls this morning? Give us courage to contend with these ideas that are in us. If you're here this morning and you, you 
and say you are struggling with being discontent. So many people here could be a form of discontent in a bunch of categories, but you just know the condition of your own souls. You gaze at it this morning. You say, I, I, I struggle with being content. Maybe this morning the Lord's trying to show you how you're, you're complaining is motivated by your consuming. Perhaps frustrations you are experiencing because you can't seem to consume as much in certain categories as you want to consume. You've been praying, you've been crying out to God, you've been asking God to fix that. And your remedy that you've presented to God over and over again is to give you more to consume. And God is saying, but your life is not hidden in those things. Your life is hidden in me. And seek me. And find me. Come and know me. And you will find contentment and you will find rest for your souls. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're aware that consumerism has turned you into a user of people. You've discarded relationships that required too much of you. You find yourself attracted to relationships that work easily. Relationships that make you feel a certain way. Relationships that are pleasant and rewarding and flattering and encouraging of you. But you find yourself avoiding relationships that are costly, that require effort, that cause you to have to come up with a reason that that person's not providing for you to be with them and around them and to care for them and to be patient with them long-suffering with them. Perhaps this morning, God wants to convict you deeply of your consumer care for others. If he is convicting you this morning, if he is showing you that you are using people rather than laying your life down for people, I believe the Lord would want you first to acknowledge that to him. That's what confession is. It's a humiliating thing to say, Lord, I, I have been using people. It's hard to acknowledge that. It's where God starts. You feel like that's true. It's God showing you that. Well, confess that to him this morning. And embrace repentance. Whatever it is that God's doing next in your life, you can always bet that it starts with repentance. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. Turn from that. Welcome the attitude that was in Christ, that it would be yours. The emptying of yourself, the laying down of your life, the not doing anything out of selfishness or empty conceit, but regarding others as more important than yourself. Traveling into their lives, not because they've made it easy, not because they've made it rewarding but because you are on a mission to go to Jerusalem where they're going to nail your hands to a cross. And it will be anything but pleasant. But in doing so, you will declare the glory of God in a love that's matchless, in a love that doesn't wait for a reason to love, 
and a love that lays its life down because it reflects the glory of the invisible God. Oh, church, can we long for a day when the people of God are a place where the life of God shines brightly or where we run toward one another, not because you got candy in your hand to give to me when I get there, but because I've got candy in mind to give to you. Lord, make us like no other people in this world who don't need to get a motive from somebody else to do right by them, to love them, to work through things with them, to be patient with them. And Lord, we know this is only going to happen as we see our life hidden in you, as we consume that life. Lord, you will never, you will never run out providing for us all that we need for this life. May we breathe the air of your spirit in our lives. Lord, move in our midst. Rescue us from being a consuming people who consume the stuff of earth to being a people who consume the living God, turning our attention to you. Lord, as we close in song, Lord, would you draw near to us and let us again be aware that you are all we need. You are all we long for. You are our great delight. In Jesus' name.